Well, good morning. We serve a God who is always by our side. Amen? Amen, amen. It was okay to clap right there, okay? So um, I am grateful, grateful to be back here at Calvary Church um, again, 15 years ago. Wow, that's uh, quite a while ago. And uh, yet the investment that this church has made in my life and ministry, um, I cannot even begin to quantify. And so uh, I want to thank you on behalf of my family for the investments that you've made in my life, whether directly or indirectly, whether through your prayers or through calls or emails or Facebook messages. I am so grateful for, um, for you. I am so grateful for the body of Jesus, the local body called Calvary Church. And so um, your pastor, Jim, uh, and associate pastor, Tom, and others have made such an investment in my life. These are people that I just, you know, there are people in your life that they're in your life, but you don't want to be around them. I'm just saying that, that, but but then there are others. Okay. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. Don't sit there like, like you don't know what I mean, but then there are others who you just like being around them. And, and, and the people, the leaders of this church and many of, uh, of the individuals that I, that, um, that I continue to connect with, Tom and Jim and Claire and others, these are people that I just simply like being around. Every time I'm around them, I come away a little bit sharper because of, uh, because of them. And so I'm grateful, grateful to God uh, for them and the investment that they make, you've made in my, in my life. And uh, my wife is here, Tanya. She's here uh, right down at the first row, front row, just if you can just wave and... So, I do that just because, you know, just in case somebody's like scoping her out, looking at her, she belongs to me, all right? She belongs to me, so all right. Um, we're, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna hope, I, I hope today uh, to uh, let the word of God wash over your hearts and mine and that we would find a level of freedom today. Freedom that bears fruit uh, in our lives. So, so a level of freedom that bears fruit in our lives. So when I, when, I was, um, when I was up until probably 12 or 13 years old, uh, I wet the bed. I, I wet the bed until I was, I, I, the way I remember it, probably until about 13. And I can't begin to tell you um, the feelings of worthlessness and shame that was associated with wetting the bed. That's hard for me to admit, but that was my reality. So, so, so I would wake up in the, in the morning before it's time, you know, time to go to school and my bed would be wet and my clothes would be wet. And I would get up very quickly and try to take the sheets off the bed and put them in the hamper underneath clothes and take my clothes off really fast, change my underwear and get new ones and put it down in the hamper thinking that I could hide. If any of you have ever wet the bed or you have a bed wetter, you know that it's very impossible to hide soiled clothes. So I, 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 I lived with this shame. I lived with this sense of internal humiliation. 
I, I try to uh, hide behind a lot of soap, a lot of water, a lot of lotion, and periodically cologne. That's when Brute and Aqua Velva was out, right? <laughs> because if anybody ever found out, if anybody in my class ever found out that Marvin wet the bed, that would really be the end of my middle school career. I mean, I was a good baseball player, so I, hood, I uh, hid behind baseball. So nobody would ever think that Marvin, who plays baseball well, wets the bed. So I strove, I, 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 I strived over and over again to be better at baseball so as to keep distance from people. Because no one would ever think that someone who plays so well had a dirty little secret of wetting the bed. I was a good speller. My, I, I mean, I, I won spelling bees and all of that kind of stuff in school. And so I worked very hard to spell very well to keep people like you from thinking bad about me regarding wetting the bed. And so, so I, there were many, many nights. I prayed for dry nights and God didn't answer my prayer. So I lived with this shame and this sense of worthlessness for a long, long time. My mother and father would interrogate and they, they weren't really trying to make me feel more worthless and uh, self-humiliated. But their furtive glances and their interrogation actually made me feel even more worthless and pain. Questions like, did you pee in a bed? And I, many times, where there's shame, you have to learn how to lie. So I would lie and say, no, I was dry. And, and then not too long later, my mother would find the wet clothes in the hamper. Why did you lie to me? And I lied because I didn't want to be exposed. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm, that, that's my reality. That's my story of shame. And I'm listening to, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at people right now. You're looking at me. And I know, I know in a crowd this size, you have your own story of shame. Mm -hmm. You have your own story of self-humiliation or feelings of self-humiliation. And shame, like a, an aggressive prosecutor, reminds you and builds a case against you. and reminds you of the failed marriage and the shame associated with it. Shame builds a case against you, reminding you of the criminal record that you have that nobody knows about. Shame builds a case against you. And all shame does reminds you of your computer history and where you've been and what you've seen. Shame builds a case against a teenager, a teenage boy who is engaged in pornography and mother and father thinks that, oh, my son, my son would never, ever do anything like that. 
And yet you're living with that shame and you're living with that, that freight and that weight and that cargo and nobody knows about it. Your boys don't know about it. Your girl, some, some young lady who's listening to me right now, you've engaged in premarital sex and you're saying, oh, wait a minute, I, I'm feeling the weight and the shame and nobody knows about it. Your parents don't know about it. The people closest to you don't know about it, but you live with the shame of it. Individuals who have lashed out at a, at, a, at, a, um, at a husband or a wife or a child. You wish you could take the words back and you live with the shame of that. You've been fired from a job, not because you're not doing the work, but you won't, you won't show up on time. You won't do the work that's required and finally you get a pink slip and, and, and now you're without a job and it's like you feel the shame of now being unemployed, connected to your own lack of diligence. I'm talking to somebody right now, and this is not necessarily wetting the bed is not a sin, but, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. You're ashamed of your body. You're ashamed of how you look. You're ashamed of where you come from. Uh, so so you, you try your best to build a bigger house and a better house to, to, to remove you from where you grew up. Shame is a very, very powerful emotion. There's somebody I'm talking to right now. You've not gotten good grades. Or you've been getting A's all of your life. And finally, you got an A minus or B plus. Like, I would kill for that when I was in school. <laughs> and you have contemplated suicide because of self-imposed or imposed, self-imposed shame or others imposed shame. And some mother or some father, you have you've been imposing and imposing and imposing. You better get a good, you better get an A. Because if you don't, you won't get into medical school. You won't get into law school. You won't get into the school of your choice. You won't get into that Ivy League school. And, and so you have children who press and push and press and push. And then when they fail, they live with shame. So I began asking myself the question, not only in my own shame, my own shame. So, so I asked the question, from where does shame come? Where does it originate? Where does shame originate? I mean, we all, we all experience it to a certain degree. I got to ask, where does it come from? Where, where does shame come from? Well, you know, it's interesting that when God created Adam and Eve, they actually knew no shame. In fact, let's take a look at, um, this is Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. This is what it says. And, and the man and his wife were both naked. They were exposed. They were vulnerable. They were transparent. And they were not, everybody finish it with me, they were not what? They were not ashamed. So, prior, so, so when we see in God creating Adam and Eve, they were vulnerable, they were transparent, and they were open to one another. I want you to imagine, I want you to, I want you to imagine what it might have been like to be emotionally and psychologically vulnerable and transparent to one another and God. 
and not have to try to hide something in your heart. Can you imagine what that was like? Can you imagine men? Can you imagine not ever, ever having a lustful thought? Can you imagine never, ever having a, a coarse thought in your mind? Ladies, imagine. Can, now, there's no jealousy. There's no envy. It is all clean. It is all a sense. There's nothing to hide. because There's nothing to expose because there's nothing to hide. This is the way Adam and Eve lived. They were naked and not ashamed. They did not have an internal disgrace and humiliation that they had to keep people at bay. They were vulnerable to God. They were vulnerable to themselves. And they were vulnerable to one another. But something happened. Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. And when they disobeyed God, shame was introduced into our world. Take a look at this text. It says, and the eyes of both of them were opened. This is after they disobeyed God and they knew they were naked. Prior to that time, they didn't know. They weren't self-aware that there was something for which to be ashamed. Text says, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves coverings. They sewed, they sewed fig leaves. I don't know if it was Louis Vuitton, Vera Wayne, I don't know, I'm just saying. They sewed fig leaves together and try to cover themselves. Text says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Here's where shame originates. Shame is the result of sin. Shame is the result of breaking the commands of God. Shame is a result of going in an opposite direction of God. Shame is a result of you and I breaking the heart of God. So God says that you're my child and I refuse to believe that he's my child. So so then I try to, I try to get a, an, an identity through my work and through my job, through my work and through my money and through my house, through my car, through my, uh, my, uh, my education. And so, so it is a result of breaking the heart of God. God says, love me. Don't love everything else. And as a result, shame is a result of sin. So wherever there is sin you're going to find shame. Wherever there is shame, you can always trace it back to that someplace, somewhere, 
I broke the heart of God. Somewhere, somehow, I've disobeyed God. And as a result of sin, three relationships were ruptured. My relationship with God, so I now try to hide from God. Try to hide from God. And that's kind of weird because you, can't, can't, you and I can't hide from God. So I try to hide from him. I say, well, you know, um, God, you can't, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want you to find me out. So I'm not going to confess. I'm not going to tell you what's going on, even though God already knows that. So the first relationship that was ruptured was my relationship with God. The second relationship that was ruptured is my relationship with myself. Is that, that, that I try to hide from myself. So you and I have shameful thoughts. And we try to stuff them, and we try to repress them, and we try to keep them down, and we try to say, no, no, I'm not going to think about that. No, I don't want to think. So you and I are aliens, even in our own skin. And then the third relationship that was ruptured is my, our relationship with one another. So now I try to hide from you, and I keep you at bay, and the closer you get to me, I start talking about the weather, or I start talking about sports, or I start talking about how good my kids are doing in school because if you got close enough to me and you start to peel back the layers, then I know you will see what's going on inside and I want to keep you at a distance in my life. So. We see that shame is a result of sin. But in the text, there are some shame-based reactions that we see. Check it out. So what are some shame-based reactions that we see in the text? Number one, self-exposure. Self-exposure. That is, I become, a self, I become aware of my sin and shame associated with it, and I don't like what I see. I don't like what I see, and so... I turned the music up really loud to keep my conscience from talking to me about the sin, how you've broken the heart of God. I stay busy all the time to keep myself from thinking about the self-humiliation that I experience on the inside of my heart. I clock deals and I go to business meetings and I make a lot of noise in my life to keep myself from becoming related to myself. So I make a lot of noise at the game because of self-exposure. Look at the text, it says, and they knew they were naked. Prior to that time, they didn't know. Here's another shame-based reaction, covering. And they sewed fig leaves together, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And so the idea is they try to cover their shame on their own. And so you and I try to cover our shame on our own. We, you and I try to cover our shame with all kinds of things, right? I've already mentioned some. And we cover with laughter, we cover with humor, we cover with sarcasm, we cover with so many things. We cover with moving, uh, moving to another job, moving to another location, moving to a bigger house. We try to cover everything, but there's no house big enough to cover shame. There's not enough money you can make to cover shame. There's not enough things you can do. There's not enough moral fortitude you and I have to cover our shame. That's what they tried to do. Here's another one. Hiding. Genesis 3, 8. 
and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. And so let me ask the question, what tree are you hiding in today? To cover your shame. What tree are you hiding in? And for some, you've been hiding a long time. Nobody knows you. Nobody knows who you are. Nobody knows the pain that you're going through. Nobody knows the, the, the sense of worthlessness that you're experiencing. And you're going about life and you're going about life and you're hiding in a tree behind a bush, behind a tree somewhere. And, um, and God says, I, I, wanna, I want you to come out. I want you to come out of hiding. Here's another one. Here's another one in the text. Genesis 3.10. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. So paranoia and fear. What's the paranoia and fear? Is that I am going to be exposed. I am going to be shown up and everybody's going to know. All the stuff that I've been trying to hide, everybody will know. So I work harder and harder and harder to try to hide. Just like I did with soap and water to try to hide the shame of wetting the bed. You and I, we work harder and we churn out more and more and more and more. Because if, 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 I, don't, if I don't do enough, then... then I will be exposed, and that can never, ever happen. Here's another one. Deflection and blame. Verse, uh, verse 12, Genesis chapter 3, verse 12. And the man said to the woman, uh, the, the man said, the woman whom you gave me. Why do brothers always got to blame everything on everybody else, right? <laughs> the woman whom you gave me to be with, uh, to be with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. So somebody right here right now, you've gone through, you're going through a, a, a bout of shame right now. And you're never ever pointing the finger back to yourself saying, it is I who sinned against a holy God. But it's my neighborhood I was born in. It was my parents who I was born to whom I was born. It was the boss uh, that, that's, that's causing me all of this. It is the color of my skin. It is uh, all of the things that it is an external blame and deflection. That's the issue. So the question that I have, what do we do? What do we do with this? What do, what do we do with shame? How do we deal with our shame? How do you deal with your shame? How do I deal with mine? Somebody's listening to me right now. And you walked in here this morning. And you sang the songs. But you're carrying freight. So what do we do? Glad you asked. First thing, let Jesus cover my shame. Let Jesus cover my shame. Check this out. This is a, this is a, this is a great verse. So when Adam and Eve sinned, God went to work to fight for them. And just like he fought for them, he is fighting for you and me. So listen to the text. And the Lord God made... 
So Adam and Eve tried to make their own loincloths. God saw there was not appreciable progress, saw that they were trying to cover themselves and it wasn't going to work. So God, in his grace, in his providence, in his care, in his love, said, I will make a loincloth for you. I will make a covering for you. I, the only sovereign God, will make covering for you. And this is a picture of the covering that Jesus would give us on the cross. So the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. So this is a picture of Jesus in the future clothing you and I, clothing our shame, clothing our sin, clothing clothing our self-humiliation, self-imposed and others-imposed and sin-imposed humiliation. God says... My son will cover your shame. Check this out. Here's another one. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight that's including our sin and shame and sin which which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the Father, right hand of the throne of God. So what does it mean to despise the shame? Well, Jesus, shame was, I'd imagine a conversation that Jesus had with shame, and shame and Jesus had with one another. Shame says, you know something, you're about to die, and everybody's going to laugh at you. You're going to be hanging on that cross, you're going to be bleeding, and everybody's going to wag their tongues at you, and they're going to laugh at you, and they're going to look at you and say, ha, 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 you said you were Messiah. And Jesus responds back and says, you know something? Shame, I'm getting tired of you. You've been dogging the steps of humanity ever since the beginning. But you see the joy that's set before me? You see the cross? You think I'm going to be embarrassed? But guess what? After I have died, I am dying right now for the the sin and shame of everybody who will trust me. So what Jesus does on the cross, he shames shame. He actually says to shame, shame on you, shame, for trying to shame me. He despises shame. And this is so significant for you and I. Why? Because you and I no longer have to carry it because Jesus carried the shame. So stop living a shamed-based reality. Stop living a shame-based life and say, say, God, I believe what Jesus has done on the cross and by faith I will trust what he did that he covers my shame. Every ounce of it. Every square, every square of shame, he covers it by his grace. Check this out. 
Revelation chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. This is the church of Laodicea, and they were um, living independently of God. Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you. I advise you now to buy from me gold that, re- that is refined, gold refined by fire so that you might be rich, so that you may be rich. And white garments so that you may be clothed, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And so Jesus says, let me cover your shame. I'm talking to a brother right now. He's looking at me. You're looking at me right now. And, and there's a lot of shame in your past. I want you to know that Jesus' shoulders are broad enough. His arms are strong enough to handle the shame of your past. Some woman is looking at me right now, and you, have, you are living with the guilt of it. You're living with the cargo of shame. I want you to know you have a Savior. You have a God who's big enough. His name is Jesus. Only Jesus can cover our shame. So stop trying to cover it with a lot of makeup. Stop trying to cover it with money. Stop trying to cover it with a bigger house. Let Jesus cover your shame. Here's the second thing. I must surrender my shame. I must surrender my shame. I must surrender my shame. This is, this is, uh, this is uh, David after uh, committing adultery with Bathsheba. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my shame, my sin associated and uh, shame associated with it, my bones wasted away. I started experiencing the conviction of God like some in this room are experiencing the conviction of God right now because of shame. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And here's where the surrendering comes in. I acknowledge my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess. Confess, say the same thing that God says about it. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So the way to get at shame is to repent of sin. The way to get at shame, because shame is a result of sin, is to actually say, God, I'm going this way away from you, away from joy, away from your peace. I'm going away from you. And only the Holy Spirit can give us the gift of repentance. Pray for the gift of repentance. Pray for the gift of a turnaround. And let the Holy Spirit turn you around and then walk back toward the Father who loves you, who has a ring for your finger, shoes for your feet. He's killed the fatted calf for you. And the Father will forgive you. And the Father will love you.
The way to get at shame is not to try to cover the shame. The way to get at shame is to ask forgiveness and, and to repent from the sin that causes the shame. Does that make sense to everybody? So somebody in this room right now, you've been trying to get rid of the shame. Hiding the shame while not dealing with the sin. So David says, I will deal with the sin so that I can get rid of the shame. So surrender. I believe somebody here today is ready to surrender. So surrender your sin and shame to God. You've been holding on to it for a long time. You've been dealing with it for a long time. And you came here, you thought you were going to, again, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a, I'm a guest here. You thought you were going to come here, sing some nice songs, hear a nice message, but you are now brought face to face with the reality Amen. that I need to deal with the sin that causes the shame. And God is not looking for a moral person. He is looking for people who will repent and turn from and turn to him. Does that make sense? All right, let me give, all right, let me give you the last one. Allow Jesus to replace my shame. Allow Jesus to replace my shame. So I'm going to give you, this is a very, very interesting story, very interesting story in the, in the, in the, in the Bible. This is 2 Samuel chapter 13, uh, verses, verse 13. This is, what, this is what Tamar says. So David had three children, uh, probably had more, but, but three that we, uh, that we see in Scripture in this particular chapter. Absalom, Amnon and Tamar. Or, and this is Tamar saying, as for me, where could I carry my shame? So let me give you the backstory of that. So Tamar, David's daughter. Amnon, David's son, fell in love with his sister. That's already nasty, all right? Fell in love with his sister. And his heart is sickened in love with her. So one of his boys, one of his road dogs, one of his posse, that's for all my dark-skinned people in the house, (laughs) said, I got an idea. Why don't you pretend you're sick and send for Tamar and ask her to bring you some food? And then when she comes, you can take advantage of her. And instead of saying to his boy, that's a horrible idea, he actually does it. He pretends like he's sick. Tamar comes into his room and he rapes his sister. But prior to that, Amnon is saying what he wants to do. And Tamar says, if you do this to me, where can I carry my shame? That what you, want, what, what you want to do to me, it is shameful. Nobody talks about stuff like that. He actually does it. And this is what Tamar does. And Tamar put ashes on her head, which was a sign of mourning and shame. And then she tore the long robe that she wore. She was a virgin and she was no longer a virgin and so she ripped her clothes in mourning and she, uh, that she wore and she laid her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. 
And somebody right now, you're crying aloud just like Tamar and you have ashes on your head and your robe has been torn and you are filled with shame. So she asked the question, where can I go with my shame? And somebody's asking the question, where can I go with my shame? And I love this verse in Isaiah chapter 61, verse one through three. And the spirit, this is a prediction of Jesus coming, of Messiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor and has sent me to bind up uh, the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive and the opening up of the prison to those who are, who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all those who mourn. And here's what I love. And to grant those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. So Tamar has ashes on her head. And now we see a text that says Messiah is coming. Mm -hmm. And he will come and he says, give me your ashes and I will give you beauty. And then he says, in the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, mm -hmm. that they may be called oaks of righteousness. So the coming Messiah says, give me your shame, give me your ashes and I will give you beauty. Give me your crying and give me your mourning and I will give you oil of gladness. Give me your torn robe and I will give you a garment of beauty and grace and love. Give me those torn clothes and I will give you something better. What Jesus says to you and I, I will replace all of that. So you and I, this represents our shame. I just wanted to take my jacket off too, so. It's your shame. And Jesus says, if you give it to me, I'll replace it. And this is hard. I know it's hard. Some are saying, this is Marvin, this is hard. You know why it's hard? Because over the years, you and I have lived with shame so much that shame has become our identity. And we can now not, we can't even separate who we really are in Christ from the shame that we have worn for the better part of our lives. And Jesus says, will you give me your shame? And some of you are at a place right now, you, like you've taken off the shame, and you're saying, Jesus, here it is. It's a long walk. I, I trust that you're gonna, you're gonna replace it. This is the shame of my past, my criminal background, my illicit relationships, the money that I stole from my business partner. I'm trusting you, Jesus. And I'm going to surrender it. And I'm going to allow you to replace it. And I'm going to lay my shame at the foot of a cross. And what our Savior does, he says, if you give me your shame,
I will give you beauty. Beauty of grace, and I will make you like an oak of righteousness. Jesus came to shame shame. He came to shame shame so that you and I can live free and bear fruit. Let's pray. So God, thank you for sending your son to shame shame. And may we live with a, a greater sense of freedom this week, a greater sense of joy this week, a greater sense of your presence this week. God, the shame that we took off that's associated with sin, may we leave it at your feet and experience your joy this week. I thank you for those right now who by faith have already gone there, God, to take off shame and to live free in you. We pray all of this, even in the one, in, in the name of the one who shamed shame, even Jesus. Amen.